you're listening to Four at the Back, and we're off to Euro 2020. Hello once again to all our regular listeners, and if this is your first time finding us, a very warm welcome to Four at the Back. I can hardly believe it myself, but England are into the final of a major tournament. With me to discuss this and the other semi-final, which was a great game, we got the full compliment once again. So Joe, Maz and Neil are here. We'll get on to some of the, the rest of the game, but we might as well start with a, a match of the day kind of beginning to this and start with the, the controversial aspect of it. I mean, Harry Kane put England into the next round off a rebound from one of the worst penalties I think he's probably taken in adult football. But what do you think, to start us off, everybody, about the, the award? Because it's all anyone's been talking about ever since, really. It's a penalty. I can't see how it's not a penalty. I can... The only way, you know, I think sometimes when you slow things down and look at a picture and people like to say, well, it's not a penalty. I can only assume the people who are saying that are the people that are looking at the foot that's gone towards the front of him, which hasn't really caught him, even though at some angles it does look like it has caught him. But what's not up for debate for me is that he's got he's got body checked. Was he already going down? Yeah, he was. But you do that in the box, you can't, you can't do it. That, that's a foul for me. It, it, it's a foul. 100% penalty. All day long. And especially with a referee who's been whistle-happy all night. To be fair to him, he was whistle-happy consistently. He was blown for every little thing. And if you're going to do that, that's a penalty. Every day of the week for me. I don't think it was a penalty, but he didn't give one that probably was. So it kind of evens itself out because the one, uh, the one in the second half was, I think, definitely a penalty and probably was only not given because Kane went down like an absolute sack of spuds. It was like kind of a, a vintage 1990 Jurgen Klinsmann effort from him. And that one, he, he certainly clipped his legs and that wasn't given. So I suppose it, it's kind of karma that the other one was a bit soft. I think I'd be very disappointed to, to to have given that penalty away, but but as I say, they uh, they they got one a clear one turned down earlier on. So I guess you make your own luck ultimately. I think it's a penalty. One, Raheem Sterling doesn't weigh very much, so it's not going to take much to bundle him over. But there's clearly contact. We don't have a problem really with players. You know, we we laud players like Grealish and Kane and their ability to win fouls. I think that's all Raheem Sterling's done, quite honestly. Uh, the other thing is that Denmark would never have been there um, had they not had a, a corner decision go their way in the previous round. So these things sort of even themselves out over time, I would have thought. So, But yeah, no, no problems with, with the penalty decision. I think Maz and I both, we were both sat there saying that's a penalty. I haven't seen anything to change my mind since. So, Yeah, and for the record, I actually don't think the Kane one was. Oh, that's interesting because that was one of the things that 
yeah, on an otherwise tense night that me and Neil did manage to find a, a bit of a laugh about was that it would have been had Kane not effectively tried to make the most out of it. So we were thinking that that probably was. Um, I kind of come down halfway between in a, in a, in a weird way because I did look at it and think there's a decent chance of that being overturned. Then you see it from another angle a bit later on and it does look like there is some contact in the hip and then you sort of think... Well, I still don't think that's enough contact for a penalty in any ideal game of football, but we don't live in an ideal game of football. If you're going going to object about that one, I think you have to re-referee the entire game. Where I eventually come down on it shouldn't have been a penalty is actually if there's a second ball on the field, the game should be stopped there and then. But that's that's neither here nor there. Yeah, that was great, was it? (laughs) Not to mention the, the laser pointer. Yeah, that's that's naughty. But, I mean, some people were saying, well, I mean, it clearly didn't stop his ability to save the ball because he got down and saved it. It just, <laughs> which is yeah, a shame it, about where it went. Yeah, it put, it put Harry off. You know, the, the, the only other thing with it, I'm, I'm standing by that. The only other thing that I'll, I'll say about it is that I mean, a lot of people have said why it wasn't overturned by VAR, and VAR is there to overturn clear and obvious errors. And I think that if it hadn't been given, it wouldn't have been given on VAR. I think it was one of those ones you kind of see either way. It was kind of like an umpire's call decision. I agree with um, that. And, you, you know, it, there was there was nothing in the replay that suggested it wasn't a penalty. At the same time, if it hadn't been given, you'd have, you could have understood why it wasn't given. Like, you've seen them not given, you've seen them given. I don't think it was that controversial. Uh, the only thing that was controversial about it was that it was the semi-final of a major tournament and not everyone agreed about it. Oh yeah, not VIR was never going to overturn that because it wasn't a clear and obvious error. I think the initial awards of it is flawed for me, but once it's been given, it's it, it's going to stand. For a minute, I did think it might overturn it, but that was because I I must have looked down on something where we saw the the view from slightly behind where you can see the body check because there's that one angle from the front where it kind of looks like he has just dived. But actually, I don't think, whatever you make of the penalty, I don't think that's a dive. I don't think he's cheating. I think he feels that there has been contact off the hip and he's gone gone down. It then becomes about whether or not, you know, you think there's enough contact or whatever. But again, that's a question about for all refereeing. Within the context of the game, I have no problem with that as a penalty award. No, no, England, I should say, England were in the, in the ascendancy. I don't know if the penalty changes the game all that much because... It was pretty much one-way traffic by then. The Danes were worn out for about 65 minutes on and were clinging on. It was, it was a reverse. It was a reverse of the Croatia game from 2018, and they got the early free kick when one in front, and then sort of we were in the Croatia role in this game, just kind of you know taking advantage of a of a, of a tired team that has has kind of made more progress than they thought they would, and and really, I think. Once the penalty went in, obviously Southgate went into, okay, we'll just keep the ball mode. But if they'd needed to have kept going to get that that second goal, I think I think they would have got it ultimately. It had that sort of mid nineties Man United feel about it in that sense. Yeah, they, they were on it. Like like you say, they were on on empty from like 65, 70 minutes. And I'm surprised we didn't kill them off in normal time, to be honest with you. So, you know, they might have held on. They might have held on, but you know, we would have had you know, Wilshire, Wilshire? Bloody hell, where did that come from? <laughs> Freudian Arsenal fan slip. Right? <laughs> what could have been? Grealish, that's the one. Grealish obviously made way when he decided, right, let's just not take any any risks here. Mm. Uh, you know, assuming other. there wasn't a knock. But 
he's, he's still could have bought on Sancho or Rashford to to give an extra Sancho that that pace would have run them ragged if they if it was another 15 minutes they had to try and hold out and, and he threw even a unconfident Rashford he would have got a chance in that second half of extra time I have no doubt about it so yeah I you know they may have held on after that penalty for another 15 but that they were a spent force they they looked so so tired by that point you know you just didn't think there was anything I'm not even sure they could have mustered enough energy to actually take penalties at that point they, they looked so spent the Grealish thing is the other quite controversial incident of the whole thing. I mean, there's two views out there on Twitter that seems to be the the dominant ones. One is that it's a deathly insult and the latest of a long line of things of Southgate not valuing Grealish enough. And the other is that this is the kind of ruthlessness that you need to win a tournament. And uh, you've got to say one thing for Southgate, if nothing else, he doesn't mind taking big decisions that will get slaughtered if they go wrong. And so far, they've all been pretty well vindicated. Yeah, I, I don't. I've not seen a huge amount of, you know, I guess you're in Villa circle, so there's probably a bit more of a backlash to it, but I've not seen. Oh, uh, yes. <laughs> uh, I've not seen huge amounts of, yeah, I actually just briefly spoke to my boss who was at the game uh, today for the first time. <laughs> he, he was a little worse for wear uh, the day after as well. And he, he did manage to put that in, that he, were, he, were, he weren't too sure about that. But yeah, I mean, it proved to be the right move. It's a little bit harsh on Grealish, but you know, I think right now Grealish is 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 here. He's a guy that he's bringing on to to make something happen, and it was time to shut up shop. I I don't think it taking anyone else off would have made sense. So once you've decided you're going to put an extra centre back on, and at that point it kind of had to be Grealish that went off. Mm, definitely. At that point, I, I don't think. Denmark were ever going to come back at us anyway. So tired Denmark, Grealish run it. Um, what what are the chances in that last fifteen? He would have got a kick on the ankle that would have meant he's unavailable for the final. That's not why he's he's taking him off. You know, I'm not saying that. I'm just saying I, I wouldn't read too much into that. I think if he did that in the second round, that it would have been a big deal. But you know, I think overall, I don't think anyone cared at that point. He just got us to a final. He did what he had to do. I think the main thing is, as you say, England are in the final. And and for people who think that Gareth Southgate has some sort of trust issue with Jack Grealish, he's brought on three games, he starts him in a fourth. Like he's played quite a big part in this tournament. There are players who haven't who haven't really got near. And I mean Phil Foden's been far less of a an influential character in the last sort of four games compared to Grealish. I don't think it's got anything to do with the fact that Southgate doesn't trust him. And if he doesn't trust him after he's given him two assists to score crucial goals at crucial times during the tournament, then clearly Southgate isn't the manager that we that all of the other evidence points to. So, uh, yeah, uh, having made the decision to, to change formation, Grealish was the obvious one to come off. I don't think we needed to. I feel like we, we, we'd have just seen no. out the game. But... Yeah, I think that the idea, knowing how Gareth Southgate manages, the idea that he doesn't trust Grealish is preposterous because he just wouldn't have bought him if he felt like that. He could have left Grealish at home. When you look at, I guess, form and how long had he been, had he been back from injury? Not a huge Not amount long. of time, was it? Not long you at know, all. He, he could, he could have easily left him out. And it, it, yes, there would have been a lot of talk about it, but... I'd, yeah, he wouldn't have cared. He, he he would have done what he needed to do. 
he clearly trusts Grealish, but he clearly knows what each player has in their arsenal and he chooses what he believes is the correct weapon for each moment in the game, whether that's starting, whether that's bringing it on late, whether that's needing to take someone off. That's something that I've really enjoyed watching him do this tournament. Strong Mourinho energy, sort of subbing a sub. It's like it's like a classic Jose move, isn't it? Um, I think, to be honest, like the reason why why people find it so strange when that happens is because you know it is it is usually such a kind of high profile slight on somebody and obviously on this occasion it really wasn't I think as the guys have said he chose to go to a back three and so you just take off your you know because actually at that point you know Greer had gone central and Mount had gone wide so it kind of made sense you know you just take out that central player and replace him with a centre half so I don't have a problem with it particularly. I would like to think that in the future, now Southgate's gone very much horses for courses in this tournament and he's selects his team based on how he thinks tactically it matches up best against the opposition. I mean, I'd like to see moving forwards, World Cup qualifiers and, and, and things like that. I would like to see Grealish in the 11. However, he, he chooses to do that. But obviously he can make an impact off the bench. That That's fairly obvious. I don't think there's an issue of lack of trust um there's obviously just things like things that Saka and Mount do tactically which are important for the way that England are setting up in this tournament yeah I have to admit I am at a bit of a different opinion from the majority of Villa Twitter on this one in that I don't think that that was particularly controversial at all and judging from his reaction neither does Jack Grealish who was spotted smiling with the team at the end of it was tweeting out how much he loves playing for England afterwards he doesn't seem bothered and I imagine Southgate has made it very clear to him that this was a tactical thing it was not meant as a slight or a snub and I mean while he doesn't always make the best decisions in his personal life Jack um, he also when it comes to football is pretty switched on I imagine he could see it as well as anybody else that it was the obvious move I did think for a moment when you were saying there that going forward he could be the uh in the 11 as the successor to Raheem Sterling for a minute and then I remembered hang on Sterling's just been around forever he's only about a year older than Jack Grealish so, so maybe that would no no I was just I just I, I however it however you want to do it whether it's whether it's in for, for Mount as a horse, of course, is selection against a team that's going to play deep. Like you think, you think about these World Cup qualifiers and these kind of, you know, pot three, pot four nations that could easily take in this for a nil-nil draw the way they set up. Mm. Um, it, it just makes sense to play British in games like that, I think. Yeah. I mean, for what it's worth, I, uh, I've i been screaming, uh, as uh, Joe will probably tell you, for Grealish to come on for Mount pretty much most of that game. That's where I think he actually needed to be. I think bringing him on for Saka... That's not the Arsenal fan in me. I, you know, I'd have probably moved out Saka for for Sancho because Saka had run himself ragged and was starting to look a little tired. But yeah, I, I would I would have put Grealish on for Mount in that game probably probably Half-time. pretty early into the yeah, well yeah I would have done it probably thirty <laughs> minutes in but um, done, you know I don't, you know do it ten minutes in go full Jose like, he, you've, had he t- was. you've had ten, you've had ten minutes get off Mount Mount was terrible he not not, not in the, the first half. In the role that he's playing, he, he was never available for, to, to receive the ball. 
England were generally on top for most of the game, but how many times was he available to receive the ball? Um, There were times where Kane was dropping deep to receive the ball, but then Mount was nowhere near the penalty area either, like to kind of fill in that little gap. So I'm not quite sure what he was doing. I know he 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 adds value in terms of pressing and things like that. And against Italy, that might be really useful. I'm not sure what he was adding in that game against Denmark. Right, first half. I don't agree with you. Second half, I do. And we'd had that conversation the other day. It's like second half, I don't know what he had. And it's the first game where he hasn't got on the ball, particularly for a stretch of time. He doesn't really do a tremendous amount with the ball when he gets on it, which is the other thing. But I'm not entirely convinced that he's meant to in this system. So I think he might be playing to the style that they want. But that first half, the one thing you can say in favour of him was there is that long stretch when England were on top where he and Saka were combining out towards the right routinely and I think that was actually quite an important passage of play and probably had a good bearing in why England were able to exploit that right hand side so often after the they conceded but yeah second half he looked as bad as he has done and I've gone away and looked at some data on this to see what is kind of going on with it and it does seem to be a correlation between Harry Kane's uptick in form and movement and Mount going the other way so when Kane was looking a bit ropey Mount was looking better and he was getting on the ball more often and that actually worries me a little bit because obviously you do kind of think you probably want that press in as you were just saying against Italy but if Kane's improvement is meaning that Mount is becoming more peripheral then he could risk just being someone who only contributes out of possession and I'm not sure we can have that. Yeah well I think you don't even need to look at the data you can see it on the pitch Harry Kane was doing these last couple of games two three games you know Harry Kane has been doing a lot of his best work dropping into where Mount is playing or should be playing you know in into that number eight number ten role a lot of my problem was you know and I know this is part of the whole game plan because it was clear against Germany as well and you know it certainly worked against Germany and it worked against Denmark in that we just absolutely wore them down but whenever they were chasing us down. The ball would just constantly get to Rice or Phillips. And then you'd think the next step, that's where you need Mount coming in to take the ball, bring it forward. And they just constantly had nowhere to go. And it would go back to the defence and what all this was doing at the time. So, yeah, I, I do understand the fact that it could be tactically where we were going. Denmark were running around like headless chickens, chasing the ball around and really giving it some welly pass it back to Pickford and Pickford would lump it upfield and because <laughs> no one was showing for him. And, you know, that just seemed to happen always. It would just get to Rice and Phillips and we'd pass it back. And it, it was frustrating me no end in that first half because, you know, we were doing that and then, then they scored. And then, you know, for the next five minutes or so, we went straight back to doing the same thing. And I'm like, what's going on here? And it's, you know, it, it's at that point, it's almost like Kane came back in, did that, and you know that that's where the that's where the equaliser came from. Kane dropping into that role and finding Saka with a blinding pass isn't that what Mason Mount's meant to be doing for the team? I, I really, I've probably got a, a, a few points based off that. So I think on on Mount, um, I think it's always concerning when you have a a number ten that doesn't have any assists or any goals. I think that's always a bit of a red flag for me. Having said that, obviously, he's had a terrific season. He's just exhausted. I mean, he's a 22-year-old kid. He's played three seasons playing practically every game. So the one for Derby, the two for Chelsea. And 
you know, like Chelsea have gone deep in, in in Europe. You know, they've gone all they've gone and won the Champions League. He's played a lot of games, and he just looks like he's feeling it. He got out of rhythm after having to isolate after the Scotland game, and it seems like Southgate's one sentiment pick or you know what he thought his team would be before the tournament pick that he's been left with is Mount because I don't think he's justifying his starting place he was all right against Croatia for about 25 minutes at the beginning of that game when England opened that game well and after that I don't think he's really delivered I don't know if it's necessarily to do with Kane but what I will say is that those players that play with Kane at Spurs are obviously much more used to his movement patterns. And so if that's Son instead of Mount playing in like a number 10 role or a, a number seven role, like he is going to, as soon as he sees Kane collect the ball, Son or Lucas or Bergvine, you know, they're bombing on, they're, they're waiting for Kane to play that pass. Um, and it's interesting that Sterling, who's played with Kane a lot at England level, is always the one that's going to make those runs because they play together more. I don't know if Mount and Kane have necessarily got the game time together for that to be working. But it, either way, Mount doesn't look like he's contributing a, a great deal to the side. And as I said last time, I was, I just think like the last hurdle of trust for Southgate is to is to get out of this mode of thinking that Grealish is a wide player and actually play him as a ten because I think that would really open things. Up for England in I terms think Grealish of... or Foden in there would, would be creating something a lot more interesting. But I mean, Foden doesn't look in great form himself. I must no, say, even when he no. when he's when he's come on the other night, well, he, he's, he's probably just as tired, isn't he? But that's the thing. I mean, he's even an even younger kid, you know. And it's his first season of playing significant Premier League minutes, isn't it? So, yeah, I I just think Grealish, having had that injury layoff, is fresh, you know. And I I, I think he would add as a lot in that 10 role and actually when he came on he did seem to occupy the central areas more so that was that would make sense to me do i think southgate will do it nope <laughs> i mean where i don't necessarily buy into the i just think he's tired thing is because even though it's not stuff that gets noticed he is having more touches of the ball than most of his peers i i think he's playing to a role like i can't shake that i mean other than that second half against denmark where you know he was invisible uh, i couldn't see anything of what he was meant to be doing then that, that's the only reason that i don't think it can be if it is pure fatigue at least put it that way then he is running through walls to get that many touches even though they're not leading to a great deal so so my gut feeling looking at the touches that he gets and where he gets them is that he is meant to receive the ball high up the pitch to insert that pressure and play it without losing it and they're not really worried about anything else that he does so i think maybe watching it thinking he's a number 10 he needs to be doing this is maybe the the issue because I, I just don't think he's necessarily meant to be playing as a traditional number 10 here and he's not meant to be playing as he does for Chelsea either and I think that's possibly why he looks a little bit um, peripheral at times but yeah I mean he had way more touches than Sterling in that Ukraine game for example and I think maybe what he's doing is why Sterling gets the space to move a little bit more. Potentially. I think the other thing to think about is what Matt said about Rice and Phillips and that's going to be a difficulty in playing that double pivot is that neither of them are particularly progressive passers of the ball. No, true. And the problem you've got is that either Maguire and Stones, who are actually better passers of the ball than 
than Rice and Phillips. You either, you know, you either have to have them carry the ball forward and have Rice and Phillips drop in and play auxiliary centre back while one of those two is carrying the ball up the pitch, or Mount needs to get closer to Rice and Phillips because you're not going to have Rice and Phillips like pinging thirty yard balls to feet like Pirlo. <laughs> so, so I think that's there, there does seem to be like a bit of a breakdown between yeah. when the double pivot get the ball and getting it into those three attacking midfielders behind Kane. There seems yeah. to be like a great big gap there. Uh, and that's where you need, you know, and so Kane started to kind of start to drop into that, into that space. But at the same time, it, you know, the, the deeper that, that he gets to go and get the ball, you know, the less chance those four players are going to have to make those runs because then a team like Denmark or Italy is just going to play an offside trap. So yeah, it's it does look a little bit disjointed in there. And, and I, I again, like there's a case for do you actually play Mount as an eight um, mm. in in where Phillips is playing and, and well, play I'll, a Grisha or a Foden? But anyway, I was just going to jump in and you maybe kind of ex- extend on that because I was just thinking a couple of hours ago the England midfield have done pretty well. I think we're all thrilled with how Calvin Phillips has done coming into the team for one thing, but. If there's one area of the team where we look lightweight up against the Italians, it's in midfield. I'm just wondering, do you change strategy in order to try and cope with that? Because there's always the potential here that we could be passed off the ball. Go 4-3-3. I mean, I don't know. Maybe Southgate would match it up. Because Italy have obviously played that that passing 4-3-3, don't they? And so, I mean, maybe you could have Mount Phillips, Rice as a three in midfield, Sterling, Kane, one of Saka and Sancho. You're essentially, all you're essentially doing there is dropping Mount back a bit, you know. So I, I could see I could see that happening, but you know, uh, there's I don't think there's any chance he he breaks up that Rice and Phillips partnership, and I don't think he has any reason to, because when you look at it, they should have been outmatched against Germany. Realistically, on paper, they probably should have been outmatched against Denmark as well. Uh, you know, we said coming into the game, that's the one position where Denmark do look like they have that little bit more edge than us here in that engine room. And they've done a good, very good job. Uh, it's a very solid job. Not exciting, but a very solid job all tournament. And I don't think for even a second he'll consider dropping either of them. I wasn't necessarily thinking of dropping them, although that is one of the things, I suppose, it involves in a change, but more that kind of change of formation so that you could get an extra body into the middle of the park, perhaps, which, yeah. again, could could be mount dropped. I mean, drop deeper, I meant to say, but I guess we couldn't even rule out, you know, a three-man Henderson could come in. I mean, that's not outside the realms of possibility. And we've seen already that Southgate is not afraid to make a call that might be quite surprising to some people and we've got uh, Bellingham as well don't we yeah yeah and he loves think, Bellingham he said great I things think, about him in the past I think the one thing about this system is that if with Kane playing the way he is Kane appears to be in, in far better form than he was two games ago he likes to drop and if you don't have somebody who can occupy those sort of forward central spaces then he's, he's not going to be as effective because there's, there's no one for him to look forward to there's there's no out there's no um, we're not looking forward, so it, it could become sort of quite congested, and we won't end up going anywhere. So, as much as we've sort of maligned Mount for the last sort of 15 minutes or so, this will be a big game for him if we're going to play that way. I don't see how else we're going to play with Kane. I don't think Kane is now an out nine anymore. 
and to some spent... degree, he never has been. Actually. Well, well, no, but I, I think certainly in the last sort of twelve months or so, his ability sort of deeper in in it's become much more apparent to those of us who don't watch Spurs every week. And I think to get the best out of him, he has to have that freedom to come short and come deep. And that doesn't really work if you've got nobody ahead of him. Giving the Italian midfield or, or defence something to think about. Get Son an English passport. ASAP. Yeah, you, 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 don't, <laughs> you, you don't, you don't, you don't, you really don't want Kane up against Chiellini and, and Benucci all night, do you? I mean, He's not the, gonna... I mean yeah, airily, the, the, there'll be no, there's no, I mean, I don't know why we keep pumping the ball up. To, to Kane in the air because I, I I don't he's what he's not won that many headers in this tournament I don't think certainly not outside the box and against those two he, he's not going to charge I I'm just sort of wondering what's going to cause the Italians most anxiety in terms of what they're going to face up we're, we're thinking about how we're going to how we're going to match up to the Italians what about how the Italians are going to match up to to England uh, I, I mean, think those Sterling runs in yeah, yeah. the centre back is what's going to kill them, you know. Yeah. And, and you say what he needs is son. Again, not to get me Arsenal hat on, but you know what what Saka's been doing when he's been on that pitch. You know, he's been finding those those positions. He's been there, and he's been giving uh, every team in front of him a really really tough time. And I'd play I'd play Saka again. Again, my I'd be keeping a very close eye on, on, on Sancho to come in and do something similar to what, what Sterling can do with those runs and run at them with pace, which they won't like, especially if you're running towards Chiellini and Benucci. They've lost Spinazzola, you know, obviously, while, while I've said like for like, obviously not quite as classy. The older, the, the right back looks pretty solid. You won't want to cross yeah, him. Di Lorenzo looks good. I think you know the the Italians push those fullbacks really really high. So so what you're what you're looking to do against Italy and what Spain tried to do certainly was was to get in. You know when those fullbacks bomb on, then you're looking to win the ball back and you know and counter in behind those fullbacks, and that will suit England quite well. On the other hand, Shaw likes to go on as well. You know Walker not so much anymore, but, uh, but Shaw certainly does go. And so down that left-hand side of England, it, either Berardi or Chiesa, whichever one starts, is probably going to have quite a lot of space. I think it's that uh, Sterling has uh, probably been England's best player in many ways, and I look forward to seeing him using that movement against two centre-halves that are both in their mid-30s. Um, as you mentioned, Shaw and Walker there, we should, uh, we're should we obsessing about attack, but we should mention defence because... It's the area that we were all worried about going into it. And yet England have made a final and they've not conceded a single goal from open play. I mean, that's quite something. I think Kyle Walker was absolutely fantastic in, in the semi-final. Um, mm, agreed. I, I, yeah. I, you know, and I, I, I was on here last week and, and said he was, he was pretty awful against uh, Ukraine for a lot of it. But he was absolutely fantastic. And I think his ability to play to play right back and centre back means that England almost have this sort of it's quite a fluid formation at times because with Shaw sort of bombing on and and Saka's ability to sort of play a little bit more defensively at times it kind of almost it shifts to to become almost like a three five two at times. Uh, uh, he was which, shifting from right back to sweeper a lot of the time in that yeah. game. You know, he, he was he was tidying up because you know as good as Maguire and Stones have been. Neither are the quickest in the world. And when we're playing quite high, you know, he's our insurance policy. 
you know, if you've not got that that pace of Walker there, that's our insurance policy. But he, he, he was he was the one who was coming back and dropping in when when they were putting those passes through. You know, he was playing his right back role well. I mean, you know, late on in the game, bloody couple of times he found himself as the furthest man forward as well. He looked bloody confused about it. He was like, what, what do I do now? But insane <laughs> levels of energy in that semi-final. I know we conceded the goal from the free kick, but I think generally we dealt with the Danish set set play pretty well. I, Maz and I were both a little bit, shall we say, apprehensive about the way they set up all the players on the goal line, thinking they're going to have us here. But by and large, we defended it well. We looked comfortable. You know, Stones and Maguire, they, they look like they have a very good relationship together. So all, all in all, like, everything's going well. I mean, I mean, Pickford looked like he was... He, my only concern with Pickford is that he's gotten away with a lot so far. He's always got just, a mad five minutes, isn't he? That's just yeah. the kind of goalkeeper that he is. I but. mean, arguably, he wasn't in the best position for the goal. And, you know, you, you, looking at where, where the goal goes in, he, he may be a little bit disappointed with, um, with, ha- with how that got in. But Brilliant free kick. Though. Same time. It was, yeah. <laughs> I mean, and he was yeah, the so a, t- a touch unsighted, too, it needs to be yeah. put in. But it was, um, but, but you know, the, the fact that he's not done anything truly mental yet is is both testament to the, the, the coaching team and a bit of a worry. Right. <laughs> I mean, I, I think Matt Denmark. Face. Oi, I think, stop it. <laughs> I think I think Denmark did a uh, did really really well for an hour, and actually, you'd have to say that they were much the better team in the first half on balance of things. You know, England were pretty good for the first 10 minutes and after that Denmark were, were quite dominant for a while England rallied after the goal and they got the equaliser quickly Sterling should have scored uh, before the own goal that he forced because you know I mean it was amazing amazing save by Schmeichel but also in another way he kind of couldn't not save it because it was like straight <laughs> at his chest no, yeah. so, you know he did what he's he did what his dad did what his dad, did, what yeah. his dad always did <laughs> there, star so. jump yeah, the old goalie. Yeah. But you know, so yeah, it, it was. I think we credit him with the save because of that. Yeah. But you know, he didn't actually save it; it just hit him. But yeah. and Sterling does have a tendency to do that. You know, a bit of a bit of composure just to have a look, and and he and he you know, like yeah. So a bird camp scores that. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> Someone that's just got those angles, like you know, the sort of the extra, you know, that extra perception. Roll that um, in Jorginho penalty style. I mean, he would have done, wouldn't he? But yeah, I, I think um, I think Denmark really deserve a lot of credit for mm. how high they pressed, how hard they ran. And, you know, it almost paid off. Uh, they could easily have been a couple of goals up in that first half. And, you know, and then I think the fact that they tired late on, if they'd managed to get two up, I don't, uh, you know, don't know if it would have mattered quite so much. They... I mean, you know, I think there's a few players there that have definitely had themselves a move. Obviously, Vestergaard's at Southampton. I think much bigger teams will will be having a look at him. You know, Southampton's always a good shop window. Just ask Liverpool and Spurs, who yeah, seem to buy all their players from from Southampton, don't they? And yeah, yeah. Damsgaard was absolutely phenomenal. Obviously, he's at Sampdoria at the moment, but he's special, you know, isn't he? Yeah. Again, I think yeah. he's gonna. A lot of people are gonna have be having a look at him, and you know, Dolberg was a bit of a, a wonderkind when he was at Ajax. He kind of lost his way a little bit, ends up at Nice. He's been playing well for them. You know, again, I wouldn't be surprised if someone takes a look because he's a he's a number nine, but also he's he's a good passer of the ball. He's technically very good. 
So, um, yeah, there's a, there's a few players in there. You know, I mean, as a Spurs fan, delighted to see, you know, Hoiberg take his, you know, Premier League season form into this tournament and also look like he can attack, which we didn't see much of at Spurs last season because he was basically playing as a pivot the whole time. But extra dimensions to his game, I think we've seen this tournament and obviously a, a brilliant leader too. So, you know, that was pleasing. Shout out to Schmeichel as well, who on both goals just before had made an absolute world-class save. I mean, you know, saved the penalty and in off the rebound and that save from from Sterling and then that. I mean, you, you've got to ask, and I think we may have asked it before on this show, but, the, you know, does, does he have a bigger club before he ends his career? You couldn't say he don't deserve it, you know. No, you, you couldn't, especially not on that performance where he was, technically speaking, for a lot of people, the man of the match. I mean, I actually only thought Denmark bossed about 20 minutes of that game, but I don't want to take anything away from it because when the goal went in, they were well on top, uh, comfortably on top. And I, and I would prefer to see that as credit to England for reacting well to falling behind rather than Denmark finally kind of running out of steam a little bit after a tough trip to Baku and, uh, and a game against a team that they were expected to lose to. It wasn't the only game in the round. It's worth pointing out that the day before, there was an absolutely cracking game between Italy and Spain. And the Italians are in many ways quite lucky to be in the final. There was not too many of their players that covered themselves in glory in that game, whereas the Spanish bossed large sections of it. And if they had someone who could put the ball into the net more reliably, you get the feeling that they may have they may have come out on top. Yeah, yeah, you know, from a football perspective, everyone's happy that Italy have got to the final, but they, they weren't the best team on the night. They got it to penalties where they played an absolute blind. I mean, Chiellini during that shootout was just one of the most amazing things I've ever seen. But Spain were good. I think probably a lot of the world has probably been harsh on Spain during this tournament. And I'll put my hands up and say, yeah, I've probably been harsh on Spain during this tournament. A, a lot of it will be based off that first game, which was just... The worst you know, day of football I think I've ever seen, that space leading. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it, exactly. I and, and, and I think they lost a lot of people that day, whereas on the first day, Italy won a lot of people. And it it was definitely Spain's. Spain had the better of the game. But yeah, they didn't have that that striker to put, put it away or finish off the chances they they were creating. But that's some good young players in there. I mean, Busquets showing he still had something to offer at, at whatever age he is at this point. And there's some positives for Spain, but, you know, definitely in transition and they need to find someone who can make it stick up top. Tremendous irony in that Olmo had had a really good game before he put that penalty over the bar. I mean, so often that seems to be the way of things. And then the other guy that, that misses is the one that actually gets the, the equaliser to take them to penalties in the first place. I mean, it's a cruel game sometimes, football, isn't it? But um, I, I feel, I really feel for Morata. Uh, and and I, I like to, he, he, he has become a little bit of a laughing stock and it's probably a little bit unfair. But uh, yeah, it, just, it, was, it was like Mbappe, wasn't it? You just knew it was gonna not going to go in for him. I mean, Donnarumma is enormous as well. I, I don't know. It's like we can't really, yeah. can't really ignore that fact. Like, I mean, him and Courtois, like, must be an absolute nightmare to, to face as a, as a penalty taker because they just fill up the whole goal. 
you know, and you look at little Jordan Pickford, you think, oh, I'll just bang that in. <laughs> but, like, but, um, I, just like it. Oh, I, think we're all, I think we're all agreed that if England are going to win this, they're going to have to do it in, in before penalties. Having said that, Jordan Pickford can take a penalty and that could be quite decisive. Well, it's got to get to six first, isn't it? <laughs> I mean, he, he took the sixth one in the Nations League, didn't he, I think, against Switzerland that time. I think it was penalty number six. Might have been number five. <laughs> Hilarious, either way. I mean, I, I sort of, I think I said to uh, to Pete, like, before the tournament, I watched back the Euro 2004 penalty shootout against Portugal, and I forgot the absolute banter of, like, Ricardo scoring the winning penalty for Portugal. <laughs> <laughs> anyway... But like, um, yeah, Italy, I thought they've come through adversity against Austria and against Spain. And that does count for something because we've seen them at their fluid best against Turkey, against against Belgium at times. Certainly the other two group games they played. So you've seen them at their best. You've seen them having to pull out an extra time win against Austria and just turn it on in extra time when they needed to. And then against Spain, you know, they they just sort of, you know, they got that. Actually, when they scored, it looked like they'd just see it out quite comfortably. And then and then Spain, you know, got the equaliser because it's been a tournament of, of topsy-turvy results, hasn't it? But yeah, I think that fact that they, they've actually had some tough games and they've shown that character. And obviously they've got leaders, haven't they? Jorginho... Chiellini, Benucci. I'll never forget the story of uh, the Champions League final against Real Madrid a few years ago. And Benucci apparently slapped Dybala at half time and told him to play football. It's <laughs> 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 fantastic. Um, uh, yeah, so they, they've, they've got leaders. They've got, obviously, even their young players, you know, they've got pedigree, you know, like Chiesa, the professional footballer for a father what didn't Mancini himself achieve in the game? Um, so th- they've they've certainly got a lot going for them. It's, it's going to be a really interesting game because Italy are going to, you know, Italy are going to play the way they play and you know that they can dig deep. But England, by comparison, have had a relatively unruffled path to the final. So it's, it's going to be very interesting. Credit to Spain. I thought Enrique worked out basically worked out how he wanted to play after, you know, during game three, like half time of game three, they suddenly switched and they looked like a completely different team. And they looked like they were passing the ball forward and there was movement and there was penetration. And the fullbacks were getting higher and Jordi Alba looked like Jordi Alba. And, and I think, you know, that is probably, you know, with this young generation that Spain have, you'd look at them for Qatar next year and think they've got a real chance, which before this tournament, I, I might not have thought, they need to sort their centre-back pairing out, mind you, because they couldn't seem to find two people that knew where each other was on the pitch half the time. Yeah, I, w- um, I wonder, it's probably a bit early for Laporte, wasn't it? It's You, you probably wanted him in a bit earlier than he was to, to get used to the system and, and the team. But, you know, if you're offered someone that good, you know, I guess you've got to take him. But they, they don't look particularly strong back there. But I, I think, you know, when you look at, at Pedri, you've got to think that there's going to be... <laughs> a lot of good years ahead for that team even if they don't find a striker because yeah it, it took me a little bit but you know I'm starting to see the Iniesta in him there's a couple of really good stretches for them this tournament I mean they, they haven't done it consistently and for that reason it maybe would have been a little bit 
generous if they had made the final, for the lack of a better a term. But there's, there was that stretch where they were brilliant in the Croatia game and they were the better team on the night against Italy. And I'd made a joke on Twitter following on from what we said in the last game that, that it was a you know, babyface and heel match. I was like, well, maybe we've seen a double turn in the course of this game because by the end of it, I think, Spain looked like the the good guys. You know, they were playing all of the football. Uh, and if there's one thing that maybe will give England some hope, I think it's that Spain maybe showed how to get at Italy in some senses, and not a tremendous amount. Of the Italian players actually had a good game on the night. Some of these fellas that had looked really in imperious form coming up to that point didn't always do well. Beyond. Chiesa, Jorginho, Donnarumma and the, t- the centre-backs, you'd be hard-pushed to find too many other really strong performers. They might be a little bit worried about Chiesa going off injured as well, because he, he didn't look particularly comfortable when, when he went off. So uh, it's going to be interesting to see how, how they line up. But as you said, um, their big hitters didn't, didn't really show up, did they? They, they were not great. No, good and, game, you know, it, yeah, well, it was, a, it was an excellent game. But yeah, like you say, there's... Uh, positives for England they've shown that they're not they're not as solid as they'd looked for the rest of the tournament they they can be got at and you know we've got the players that can get at them right I think that's a a good point to kind of wrap this up on so I've done predictions at the end of every one of these knockout pods so far so let's do it again and I'll just put it slightly different slightly differently lads is it coming home no comment one thing I can tell you for sure, I'm going to be an absolute state on Monday. <laughs> that, that's all That's all you're getting. You're not getting any more than that. <laughs> yes, it's coming home. It's coming home. 100%. <laughs> Matt is staying home on Monday. <laughs> that joke falls flat because he works from home. but you know. From home anyway, yeah. So. <laughs> I noticed Neil stands suspiciously quiet. Uh, I mean, as I said, I've, I think I've, I've, I've kind of said that Italy were most likely all along having said that you know certainly the way that the last two games have gone it suddenly looks much more 50 50 than it is all right well it's only a couple of days to go and we'll find out i mean it's remarkable really there there have been times over the last 15 years or so where i've genuinely thought that what is about to happen would had become impossible and i never thought i'd see it in my lifetime but here we are the final of a major tournament the last time we were in one we won it 4-2 and the team we beat that day had one of the very best players of all time in it. I know that was then, but it could be again. Until next time, thanks for listening. We've been four at the back.